What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to episode 81 of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, brought to you, as always, by SorrySports.com. Check out the website. So we jumped right in today, had Will on the podcast. Thanks again, Will, for coming on, and we talked about our brackets and recapped the full NCAA tournament, really went deep on the Final Four as well as the championship game. After that, we jumped into some NBA. There was a lot of drama. Obviously, we talked a while about Magic Johnson stepping down and that whole shit show. After that, we talked about the playoff picture. Following that, we talked MLB, talked some Yankees injuries. Went around the league, we talked about some of the most surprising teams as well as the most disappointing teams thus far in the season. It is early, but we had to talk about it. After that, we capped it off with some NFL draft talk and some rumors. Uh, Check us out at SorrySports.com. Sean's got four new articles running. Give those a read. Follow us on Twitter at SorrySports for all the newest updates. Follow us on Instagram, Sorry underscore sports. And if you do want to write an email to us, whether it be writing an article or just you want to say hi, SorrySports at Yahoo.com and enjoy the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. Uh, we're here on a Wednesday for Monday Rundown. We're going to touch on the NCAA tournament, the final, um, go into some NBA on the evening of the conclusion of the regular season, some baseball, a little NFL. But we're starting with March Madness. First of all, Tom, how are you? What's going on, man? How are you? Doing well. And we have Will Smith on the line to recap our brackets and what we thought of the tournament. Will, how are you, sir? Good, Sean. How are you, Tom? What's up, man? So I know that Will, one of his 30 brackets, actually he predicted the national championship game as well as the championship, but on this pod he didn't, so we'll go over that one, not to confuse anyone. So are you saying that that doesn't matter? No, that doesn't count. I'm of the... It it absolutely matters. No, no, no. I only made 10, not 35. Oh, 10. Okay. I'm, I'm of this, okay? I come from the... You make one bracket, you submit it in all of them, and you see how you do. You see how smart you are. Well, also, if I you're going to call it on the air, that's the one you're going to live with on the air. But that's all good, Well, Congratulations on one of those brackets uh, working out. So what ended up happening was the Virginia Cavaliers capped off a great Cinderella story, winning the national championship in a thrilling overtime matchup against Texas Tech. And this game had obviously everything. Uh, it was thrilling to the end. Um you got to give Virginia so much credit. I mean, they being the only team ever to lose to a 16 seed, coming back the very next year, winning three games in the tournament that they easily could have, and in some cases, as we'll touch upon in the Final Four matchup against Tom's cheating Auburn Tigers, should have lost. But nevertheless, they did end up winning that game, and they ended up winning the national championship. A great story for Tony Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers. This was an awesome game. The Final Four was perfect. Tom and Will, what'd you guys think of just the final four and then the championship game and how we got here? I mean, obviously me being a massive Auburn fan, um, I was a little upset because there were some bullshit calls. Um, And then the Michigan State game, I just think Izzo, the team got outplayed, Izzo got outcoached. Um, Culver was the best player on the floor. And in that Culver game. was by far the best player on the floor. And I think the two NBA ready lottery picks are, were by far the best players in both, in both final four games as in, as well as in the championship game. Uh, Hunter could pretty much do whatever he wanted. Hit that big shot too, with 12 seconds left. Absolutely. Um, so I think the, we both predicted, I think Michigan state to go, but that was just more on, you know, Izzo being a big time coach and them having a senior heavy team. But as for the national championship game, Virginia just kind of took control, went back and forth, but it looked like they played kind of a DeAndre Hunter or whatever his name is, do whatever you can, and then the rest were just going to surround you with shooters, and it seems to have worked. Yeah, a lot of clutch play. Will, what would you take from it, man? No, I took uh, that it was an amazing game. Virginia's defense was unreal. The whole tournament, they were unreal. Um, they should, Like Tom said, they should have lost that Auburn game, but they you know, found a way to win. Um, I guess the cheaters didn't prosper in that round, if you know what I mean, Tom. But um, awesome. no, it was it was a good game, and it was I think two of the best defensive teams in the country playing against each other. And you know, watching that game in the ten minute mark, and it's five two, you're like, it's gonna be one of those games, you know. But uh, it was it was one of those tournaments that I was not disappointed from. I would say the elite eight on. 
No, the Elite Eight was the best Elite Eight I can recall in a long time. I mean, every single game, what a couple of them went into overtime. It was one of the most riveting tournaments I can recall. And, and, and an article that I just posted on SorrySports.com, I mentioned how this is not the tournament that we wanted, but the tournament that we deserved as college basketball fans. And all three of us being pure college basketball fans, you know, we appreciate these great stories and teams that can come from the depths of losing like Virginia did last year or a story like Texas Tech, albeit a team that has a lottery pick, but a team that's never been there before, right, guys? And they can come out and, and make a national championship. And, you know, the casual fan and probably if you pulled 99% of people would say they wish Duke and Zion and them were in the championship game, but that's not how the college basketball world that we grew up watching works. You know, these one and dones don't usually get there, and we all kind of agreed on that when we were going over the brackets where we thought if Duke was going to get there, it was simply going to be because of their talent, but historically, freshman dominant teams do not do that well or win at all. So I thought it was this was what college basketball needed. I think this was everything that we got as fans was justified. And I don't really care if Duke wasn't in it. I don't really care if Kentucky wasn't in it. We had four great teams. Um, the storylines were riveting. The storylines were certainly not short of anything to talk about between Auburn being there for the first time, Virginia getting back there after losing to the 16 last year, Texas Tech being there for the first time. And then, of course, you had Izzo taking a team that a lot of people, yeah, they really liked, but doubted in a matchup that a lot of people thought was going to happen against Duke. So it, it was all there for the taking and both games were awesome all the way to the national title. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this was more classic college basketball and I think that it, it was fun and it was, it was good to see that the one and done players didn't win out this year uh, and they don't seem to win out very often. I mean, the last time I can think of it was Duke in what? 2015. 2015. Yeah. Um, and you know, I like I like the story of Virginia coming back and you having these familiar faces and then being able to um, come back from obviously probably definitely the worst upset ever in college basketball history and being able to get their shit together, work really hard over the summer and, and have a really good season and then win it all. Absolutely. Well, Storybook what did, ending. What did you take from the Final Four as a whole between both games and then the championship game? I took from both games that, you know, you touched on before with the Texas Tech-Michigan State game. Um, outside of Culver, I think Michigan State was the better team on paper. But it, like you said, your boy Izzo just got outcoached, and, you know, Culver dominated down the stretch, and that's what propelled Texas Tech to the championship game. And then on the other side, to talk about, you know, Virginia coming back in that game, uh, going down to the wire. I know Tom's sitting there, you know, shaking a little bit, knowing he picked cheaters to win it all. And, you know, Virginia came out on top like they did against Purdue as well. And um, Kyle Guy. Did you think that up. Auburn got robbed? Or did you think that they were justified in, in – I mean, I def, I don't think either of us can disagree that that was an obvious foul. I think that – because obviously the, the Auburn player did not allow Kyle Guy to land, and you have to allow the player to land. That's basic. If you don't do that, you're going to get called on that every single time, and that was fine. But did you, there was the controversy was involved with the double dribble where a guy dribbled the ball or Jerome rather dribbled the ball off his leg, picked it up, and continued to go. Did you guys think that Auburn got hosed, or did they get what they deserved, especially fouling guy with such little time remaining? I mean, it's one of those things that you look at and you, you say to yourself, "Did they miss it?" You know, it, they obviously did. It wasn't called. It was a clear double dribble. It wasn't tipped. It wasn't anything. He just bounced it off his leg, picked it up, and then dribbled it again. That's a clear double dribble, and then you were you put you touched on it. You, you got to let the guy come down, and Auburn didn't let Kyle Guy come down, and he hits three free throws and goes. To, uh, they go on to the championship, but there was one call that in the national championship that or two calls that I didn't really appreciate. The foul on Kyle Guy at the end was not a foul. I didn't think at least, and then the loose ball where Mooney's going for the loose ball and Kyle Guy is pulling him back and not being called for a foul. Yeah, that was definitely, that to me signaled that Virginia was going to win that game when that wasn't called because that was pretty blatant. Yeah, I'm in agreement with the both of you guys there. I mean, but we talk about it with the NFL refereeing. I mean, as much as I obviously wanted the Auburn cheaters to win, I mean, that's just the humanity in the game. You know, some of these guys make massive mistakes. Like, it was a huge mistake um, in a player's mind fouling Kyle Guy. Uh, not let, not allowing him to land, and the referees make mistakes too, and that's just kind of the way she goes sometimes. 
And it is what it is. As upset as I am and as upset as all these Auburn fans should be, listen, Auburn probably got a lot of calls that they didn't deserve throughout the season. And sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. The teams were even. And, I mean, listen, just be better next time. Yeah, the refs got killed during this tournament, particularly as the games dwindled from the Elite Eight down to the Final Four and eventually the National Championship game that, Will, you just mentioned. Um, I feel like I I saw more. No, go for it. I I was saying because, you know, Tom brought up the NFL, and now, as we all know, that you can challenge the pass interference call. Do you think that trickles down to any other sport, say the NBA or even college basketball, that there's a big foul at the end of the game and, you know, Coach Pearl's like, I want you to look at that. Was that really a foul? You, you know, do they get one coach's challenges? Are they going to change the game now that, you know, upper levels of professional sports have changed the, the game and made different rules that they can challenge certain things they couldn't challenge before? I don't really think so. I mean, I saw the MLB take it over, but there's already so many reviews. And if you have a rapport built with the ref for certain calls, they you can already ask them to kind of look at it, and they will. Like Coach K, he can have them go to the monitor for pretty much anything that's legal. So I don't think they're going to slow down the game anymore. But I just think that altogether, I mean, I feel like this year, especially talking about Kyle Guy and that three-point foul, I feel like I saw that more often this year in close games in the NCAA tournament than I had ever seen before. Some were good calls, some were bad, but overall refereeing, I think they need to either get better guys in there and pay more money or just have these guys coach coach up the refs better because it was terrible the whole fucking time. Yeah, I, I don't, to answer your question, Will, I I don't think that they should change, but I think that they will. And the reason being is that, especially in such a hypersensitive climate that we're in, where everything has to be right, they have no problem with a college basketball game, especially something like the national championship, lasting four hours if they have to get the calls right. And we saw even that play that you mentioned where a guy was pulling the, um, the Texas Tech player back I mean, it took what seemed like 10 to 15 minutes to see if the ball touched the guy's pinky or not, you know, fingernail, and it couldn't have been conclusive. So, but just to decide how long that was going to, or how long that took to decide, that was agonizing in of itself because now you're approaching around midnight, you know, 12.05 in the morning of a game that's already in overtime and started at 9.20. So it you have to get everything right. I think we're so we're so keyed in on having to get everything right now that they might not want to do it. It's going to slow the game to a grinding halt and it's going to be harder to watch sports, but I just think that's the direction we're going in. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with what you said. And, you know, it takes away momentum of a team, you know, are, are we really going to add 0.2 seconds because that, you know, make it 0.4 instead of 0.2 and take away a momentum from a team. Not that that really matters in that situation, but, there's times under two minutes that a team's on a 9-0 run and you they, you see them lose momentum because you spend two, two and a half minutes looking at the clock or who the ball went out of. So, you know, it's it, it's tough, like as you said, from that perspective. But, you know, to your point, you got to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. So the final, final question I want to pose to you guys um, before we wrap up the NCAA is, Will, I'll lead with you, my man. Did you think that this final matchup for the national title was good for college basketball. Just playing on the storylines, just playing off of the totality of the of the season and all the various components that went into it. Do you think that this was a good championship game for college basketball now and going forward and how it's going to be looked at as, uh, in the history books? I think this was a perfect um, game for college basketball, if you think about it. You have two teams that have never been into a championship game before. You have the storyline of Virginia who lost to a 16 seed. Now they make it all the way back, go through all the adversity, and get back to the championship game. And you have these, you know, one coach that hasn't been there before, Tony Bennett, who's, you know, hasn't been there before either, but, you know, has a better team, better program, all that stuff. And you, you, look, at, you look at the game, and uh, I think Tom mentioned being not a college basketball fan. But as a sports fan, if you're not a college basketball fan, you're turning that game on. Same thing with the national championship in football or the NBA finals in basketball. If it's on, you're going to watch it as a sports fan. And I feel like those people who aren't watching college basketball like we are, who watch, you know, big Big 12 games or, you know, American games or, Tom, even the Big East games, St. John's, DePaul, you know, the regular fans are not going to be watching those games. But a game like this, you look at this and you're like, oh, my God, college basketball is great. Look at the storyline. 
know, this team hasn't been here before. This team hasn't been here before. They lost to a 16 seed last year. I think it you know, bodes well for college basketball going forward. You know, you pose the point to say, ah, Duke's in the final again. Ah, Kentucky's in the final again. Like, I could see people saying that. Like, oh, I Well, that's what they're saying about college football right now with Alabama and Clemson basically being put in there, you know, before the season starts. Yeah. You know, you want to see those teams. Like, oh, I want to see Gonzaga in the championship or, you know, even, you know, Loyola Chicago, Tom's Loyola Chicago team last year who made the Final Four. Like, that's crazy. And that, you know, that makes you want to watch. Yeah, I echo everything Will says. And we'll go back to the college football conversation. And I brought up college basketball where you, I mean, Loyola Chicago went to Final Four last year. These two teams have never been there before. When you are a fan of a team, you can actually root for them if they make the tournament and say, hey, you never know. So I think it was really good for college basketball. And also the other point is it got away from the one and done thing. Because there was, I don't even know, was there a freshman on the floor? For either of these just the, teams, uh, point guard for just the point guard for Virginia was a freshman. I think that was the only freshman that, was, uh, that started. Exactly, and, and you look at college football, and if you're Will, you're a South Carolina fraud fan. Obviously, Sean's a fraud Alabama fan, but being a South False. Carolina fan, um, what are you rooting for, really, in the grand scheme of things? Like, are you looking forward to watching the Meineke Car Care Bowl when shit doesn't matter? I mean, I don't think. Yeah, you but would be. but I think we're treading dangerous waters comparing the two. They're not the same sport. They're no, not, not the not same kind of season. But I'm you saying, can't look at a tournament or in the college football playoff. That but I'm way. saying, I'm saying, as a fan, at least you have. If you're a fan of college basketball in general, or you're just a casual fan, or you're a fan of any school that's Division One across the country, if you have a good year, there is hope. Period. Well, the reason I posed the question was not necessarily so much from the big picture that obviously, you know, the cliche, any team can win one game and, and get to a tournament. We've seen it happen many of times. What I meant simply was in a year that was dominated by Duke and the freshman on Kentucky and the one and done and Zion this and Zion that and justifiably so. But in my opinion, Zion Williamson is an NBA all-star right now. He's not an NBA prospect. He's not even a guy who's going into the NBA. He's an NBA all-star that has to play in college. So to me, I wasn't upset in the slightest that they lost. And it wasn't to me even a Zion thing. I don't, I'm not a Duke fan. I don't care for Duke, but I didn't need to see him play. I'm going to be seeing him play for a long time. I'm, in the spectrum of college basketball, wanting to watch the best college basketball teams, regardless of how many NBA All-Stars or even NBA players these programs pump out, I'm not watching college basketball for that. I'm watching college basketball for college basketball and the enjoyment of the sport. So when I pose the question to you guys about, was this matchup good just going off of this season, I think it was fantastic. We oh, didn't yeah. get Duke. We I didn't get you. any of the one and dones. But we got two excellent teams that had never been there before with whomever won, I think the general public would have been very satisfied seeing win, right? Yeah, I agree with you oh, completely. Absolutely. I agree too. I mean, because I'm not even mentioning the the storybook ending of Virginia. I mean, going from one year getting eliminated it's by one of the 16. best redemption stories in sports we've seen in a really long time. Yeah. And then you have just two teams that you can't complain about the one and done or anything like that. I thought it was a really, really fun and a great game as well as these were the two best teams in college basketball this year. What else can you say? Absolutely. Uh, it was, it was tough though. That St. John's lost. In the lead in, right, Sean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You, dude. <laughs> We're rebuilding right now, okay? We're going to talk about that on another pod, but we're looking for a new coach. Hopefully, Slick Rick can get that private jet finally. Jesus. All right, Tom. Tom's lobbying for Rick Pitino. Um, this was an awesome tournament. It is fun every year. You get great stories every year. Um, neither of us killed it in the brackets that we publicly announced. Obviously, Will had one of his secret ones. I had Tennessee winning. They did not. Um, losing a tough one to Purdue. I had, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun watching these games. Yes, they were a lot of fun. Uh, some sloppy games, but you know, when you're 18, 19 year old kids, you got to expect sloppy play. But yeah, aside the, from that, and on the big stage great. too. But I mean, I think for the most part, we got we got our money's worth watching all these games. Will, would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, I couldn't. I can't remember a tournament this this good, this exciting, especially from the elite eight on. Um, and you know. It was just something that I looked forward to watching every night. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about these teams, but it's going to be a great game. And I haven't said that in a long time in a tournament. Absolutely. 
Well, uh, thanks for calling in, Will. We'll we'll definitely have you back on during draft season and and to talk whatever you want. So even if you want to talk about power couples again, thanks for calling, though. Yeah, I was watching E! News last night, guys. You know, I'm a regular. Awesome. We love it. All right, Will. Take care, buddy. Bye, buddy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks. We'll be right back after this quick break. That phone call was brought to you by SorrySports.com, as usual. SorrySports.com is the greatest website in the world. This is not a commercial. This is just a recommendation. And just so you guys know, Sean, in the past week, has put up four new articles. Hold up an open palm, fold your thumb in, and that makes four. That is four new articles for you guys to go over there and read. He's talking MLB, MLB, he's talking NBA, he's talking, I don't even remember, NCAA. I don't know. I just put them up. I didn't even read them. But uh, I'm sure they're really good. So, as always, just check out the website, sorrysports.com. And if you guys want to write anything, we will edit it, sorrysports at yahoo.com. Send it over there and enjoy the rest of the pod. All right, we are back after a quick break. Um, Decided to try out a commercial, so we'll see how that one goes. But you did write a few articles this week, and they were, I did read them. They were really good. Did you actually? That's yes. very nice uh, Well, of you. I edited them, so I had to read them while I edited them. And they are up on the website, sorrysports.com, so check those out. Uh, a variety of different things Yeah, I, t- I touched upon the East Coast, ri- East, East Coast, West Coast rivalry, the NBA, and how the Knicks and Lakers as the A-teams in both cities are battling with the Nets and the Clippers for possible free agents. Um, Nets and Clippers are playoff teams Obviously, the Lakers, which we're going to get into in a quick minute, and the Knicks are not, uh, touched upon how the Giants actually do have a plan. It's just whether the plan is going to work. But for anybody that can't see the plan, um, they just like to shit on the Giants too much. I talked about how there's no real need to worry about the Yankees yet. Um, You did the Aaron Rodgers (laughs) R-E-L-A-X. Exactly. Um, The Yankees have been dealing with their own issues but uh it's so early in the season and it's just hard to get too worked up about it and then yeah just touched upon everything we just talked about with will um about the ncaa tournament and how this was a great tournament and maybe it wasn't what everybody wanted to see with zion holding up the national championship but it was what we deserved as college basketball fans um getting by far the best game imaginable so definitely go check those out and there's gonna be plenty more articles to come uh in the next couple days and weeks Absolutely, and follow us on Twitter, Sorry Sports um, is the handle. We will always be tweeting those articles out just so you know you're ready for a Sean Bomb. That's right. All right, so... Let's move on to some NBA. We're talking about the NBA. We're talking about the pros right now. Of course, we're talking off-court stuff during this season. Holy shit. You said a Sean Bomb with a story? How about a Woj Bomb yesterday? Not even, just a press conference. It was was insane. This whole thing with Magic Johnson is one of the craziest stories that I've seen in a long time. So in case any of you are not quite familiar yet, Magic Johnson in his own press conference after already having a meeting that day with his boss, owner Jeannie Buss, in which he never mentioned that he was going to be leaving, decided to gravitate to some media members and use that as a platform to say, I'm stepping down as president of basketball operations of the Los Angeles Lakers. He didn't say it that classy, though. He said, I'm out. And holy shit, I can't believe it. It has been... This this might be up there with Phil Jackson as the worst experiment. He has taken this team from already pretty embarrassing, from the Kobe departure. I mean, they've been a laughingstock in this decade ever since they won it all in 2010. And he's made them even more of a train wreck to where I quite honestly don't know how they get up from this. And it seems as though this really started and was highlighted and brought to the forefront by the Anthony Davis trade debacle. Alvin Gentry, who's the head coach of uh, the New Orleans Pelicans said he has never in his 31 years being in the league seen anything this terribly run by both sides and magic Johnson He's a Hall of Fame player, maybe one of the he is one of the best all time, maybe people can argue the best all time. He did not work out as a head coach for the Lakers. He ditched that pretty fast. And he clearly does not have what it takes and he doesn't have the effort that he wants to expound upon building a championship team. And this is just a huge smack in the face. What a disaster out there in Tinseltown, man. It just feels like he walked into the building pregame and was like, eh, this is, I'm just going to quit, which is absolutely insane. You had a meeting with the person that employed you 
earlier the same day. Can you imagine you going into work? Talking about the future of the team. And going to work and being like, yeah, I can't wait for this project we're running. And then calling your boss or just saying like, hey, I'm not coming in. Oh, by the way, I'm also never coming back. Yeah, it's just, I mean, he quit as a coach. He quit as a uh, as a TV analyst and he quit on this. I don't think he'll ever do this again. He doesn't want um, to, clearly. I think he just likes being a, a high a high profile businessman. I mean, he's almost worth a billion dollars. Clearly he's really good at that. And this was just a terribly, terribly failed experiment. And I love it because the Knicks had their terribly failed experiment of their own. And Hey, at least Phil Jackson didn't do this, right? Well, (laughs) he got fired. Yeah. But he made some decisions that set your team back years, just like magic did here. And it's, it started with the D'Angelo Russell thing. And what I think was very poignant about the departure from Magic was he went out of his way to credit D'Angelo Russell and talk about how mature he became. Well, when you had him, he was 20 years old, and now he's 23. So, yes, 20-year-olds can mature in a couple of years. And he unceremoniously kicked him out the door, could not wait to draft Lonzo Ball, who the jury is very much still out on him. Guy doesn't have a jump shot. Guy can hardly even stay on the court. Aside from the fact that he's going through a lot of family trouble right now with his father and whatnot and hiring agents and all this other shit. But he was his jump shots, but he was drafted with the number two overall pick as a guy who I always thought was a project. No. And that to me was magic saying, I want to prove to everybody how smart I am. I'm going to kick D'Angelo Russell to the side. I'm going to bring in Lonzo. We're going to make this team great. He cleared the cap space by trading Russell to the Nets and and absolving them of um, Timothy Mozgov's contract in hopes it would lure two top free agents. Apparently, he was never going to even get a meeting with Durant. And LeBron went, but it wasn't because of the Lakers. He went because he wanted to be in L.A. And to anybody real quick that's speculating LeBron's on his way out, he's not going anywhere. L.A. is and the Lakers, for him, is the reason he's there is absolutely not to win championships for the Lakers. And when Paul George, one minute into NBA free agency a year ago, announced that he was staying with the Oklahoma City Thunder... That put the Knicks on any kind of thing that was going to happen with the Lakers positively because all these other superstar free agents, they do not want to go there. There's not even a building block situation there. I mean, you have LeBron who at this point in his career is not a building block. He's not an attractive destination because he wants he's going to alienate everybody else that's there, get what he wants. Luke Walton was a dead man walking the entire year that just never got the axe. And on top of that too is Rob Palenka agent turned... Uh, assistant GM with with Magic, the two ob- apparently didn't get along at all or see eye to eye. Magic didn't want to... All Magic wanted to do was like help Ben Simmons with his jump shot. You can't do that. Ben Simmons is under contract for two more years with another team. You are not allowed to do that, and if you're upset about it, which apparently he was, then this is part of the why- reason why he's leaving because he doesn't like to have these restraints on him. He's Magic Johnson. He thinks he's above the law. And in the basketball world and bureaucracy, no, you most certainly are not. What a bad two years. Clearly, this was not a good marriage from the start. And unbelievably so, because basketball has been around a long time. Magic Johnson did not know what he was getting himself into being president of basketball operations. Let this just be a lesson now to any other team. That Just don't get these high-profile guys and put them in positions well, that, that they shouldn't you're be. Fr- you're team Phil icons. a coach. Yeah, team icons, putting them into the front office or even on the bench as the head coach does not work. Very rarely do you get Jerry West. Most times you get Phil Jackson as hit this as a president of basketball ops or you get Magic Johnson. Very rarely do you get a guy like Jerry West. Yeah, and you see it too. I mean, not to bring it up because I know it just happened. And actually, I think I know you're happy about it. But Chris Mullen too. I mean, there was no way that was going to work. He had never been a head coach before. And St. John's needing to bring back, you know, a player from their former glory days and put them on the bench as a head coach doing something they've never done before. The odds are stacked up against them that it's not going to work. And if it does, congratulations. But that's not not the realistic expectation. You're absolutely right. But in Chris Mullen's defense, he got Slice Robinson as as a top recruiter who recruited at Kentucky before that. So his resume speaks for itself. And a lot of really good assistant coaches. But Magic didn't do shit. 
That's the difference between the two. At least I can say that Chris Mullen left trying. He wasn't a good head coach. He wasn't a good X's and O guy. He wasn't. He was a decent recruiter as well as the staff that he put together. Well, what I meant, but at least he put the effort in. Magic. The problem was was that he didn't want to from the jump. I don't know what he thought this was going to be a nice retirement project or something like that. He just didn't want to put the effort in, and I don't even know what the fuck what Joe I meant, was doing. Now, what I meant in the comparison was simply when you bring icons of an organization or a college program. Oh, I agree with you. And completely. bring them in and and expect that to rally the fan base. That's all just glitz and glamour. It's not actual building blocks and solidifying a true establishment of winning culture. As as the Lakers now, I think all you can do is get rid of Rob Palenka and get a guy like, do the Nets game plan here. Get a guy from the Spurs that you like and make him your GM that has been in a front office for 25 years. I think David Griffin makes a lot of sense. He's had a lot of success building up a really bad Cleveland team. Will LeBron... Let that allow that but to see, happen. But see, so there you go. See, I don't think that they have the luxury to do what the Nets did because they have LeBron James. Yep. And even though right. I just mentioned that basketball is not the main reason LeBron's there and he's not going to ask for a trade, he also doesn't want to play on 20 win teams. So he's going to demand that the Lakers do something to at least surround him with some talent. But talk about Magic's lack of of an identity. And that's the other thing, too. A lot of these old great players or old coaches believe that the NBA is still run the way that it was when they were dominating and they had the best basketball mind, whether it was on the court or on the bench. We saw it with Phil in New York trying to keep the triangle going. That was an antiquated style 15 years ago. Yeah. Not going to work in the analytics sharpshooting game that we have now. Yeah, there's still reminiscent and magic is, of the magic doesn't but... believe that you have to go scout all these G League games and all these college games and that you can just find guys that fit your team. I mean, look at the guys, and we questioned it right off the bat, bringing in guys like JaVale McGee. How did you not give Boogie Cousins a call? You know, like you're bringing in Michael Beasley. Oh, we don't need to get shooters. His quote was, we don't need shooters, we need toughness. toughness. Well, toughness only gets you so far in today's NBA, and those tough guys, those glue guys, are that for a reason. They're not high-profile guys, and they're not getting starters minutes, which is what these guys were actually getting in this Laker lineup. And now you're dealing with Brandon Ingram with his blood clot situation, which makes him, in my opinion, very tra- very difficult to trade because you don't know what that condition is going to be. We saw with Chris Bosh basically ru- end his career. You've got Lonzo Ball, who is, can't even stay on the court. Can't even much stay on the court, the and baggage. nobody and nobody knows yet. And not only that, dude, but just look from his style of play. Nobody knows how great he actually is, or even how good he is. And then Kyle Kuzma, I'm still the jury's out on him. He's played very well on some horrible teams. I don't know how good he actually is. Not to take anything away from what he's done, but I don't. I don't look at him and say, "Yeah, you're going to be an All Star." on any team. And then they have nothing else. And then they, they have, have literally nothing else. I mean, so, LeBron, that's it. So they're in a whole lot of trouble. And I want to play this. What is not now, because I think anybody would argue that the Knicks have the best case scenario, as long as their plan works out with all, with the, with the max two max slots. But what was a bigger debacle? Was it Phil in New York or was it Magic in L.A.? Now, obviously, Phil in New York lasted a couple more years than Magic in L.A., but I think they both burned the organization to the ground and set them back years. I would honestly say it's even because you look back and, I mean, actually, no, Phil Jackson was worse. No okay. I think about it because the one thing that you can hold your hat on as the Lakers, two things. He got LeBron there mm-hmm. and he didn't ruin the cap. Phil Jackson could not lure any good free agents, and he ruined the cap. So I would say that Phil Jackson was worse, and that's me being a biased Knicks fan and trying to make every, trying to make the you know put lipstick on a pig and make the Knicks look different. I still think Phil Jackson was worse. Their two most heinous acts, I would say, probably Magic Johnson trading Yvonne Zubak for literally nothing and the Clippers just jumping for it. Was the Clippers couldn't believe it. Not Jerry mention, West was like, wait, really? Not to mention, obviously, the D'Angelo Russell trade, which was an absolute joke. And then Phil Jackson just, I mean, being able to draft Frank Nilakina three days before he was fired. Yeah, but I put that more on Dolan. Dolan absolutely. Yeah. But I think Phil Jackson was worse because he did everything Magic Johnson did and he also ruined the cap. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm actually going to go Magic. Magic. 
And the reason being is obviously Phil's was a debacle and Phil was lazy. Phil didn't care, but I'm going to put most of that on Dolan. And the reason was, was Dolan gave him complete autonomy to make every decision, even if it went against his best method. And that was Dolan basically giving the middle finger to Nick fan saying, you want me out of it for so long? You want me out of the picture? Well, you know what? This is what you get. Here's Phil Jackson. You're going to ride and die with every decision. And I'm not going to question a goddamn thing he does. So at least with that, you had ownership at that part, ignorance and complete lack of any kind of uh, any kind of commitment there, and then you're gonna move over to LA, where to me Magic Magic is a Laker icon. Magic wanted that job. It, it was that was the only place he could get that job. But he did want that job at least from the get go. But the problem was was he had no idea how to do it. And when you trade a n- former number two pick, you know at least Phil never did that for. Nothing, just glamorized cap space, but had no plan. You know, Phil, I think, had a plan. I just don't think he knew how to execute it, and that plan was antiquated. And it sucked. Magic, I don't think, ever had a plan. Magic's only plan was get LeBron here and we'll figure the rest out later. But see, I think he gets way too much credit for that. I don't think that that was his plan. I think he went into free agency with having the max spots, and there were whispers. The worst-kept secret everybody said at this time last year was LeBron was going to the Lakers. Just like right now, there's the whispers of Durant going to the Knicks. I hope it's the same. So, LeBron did not go to the Lakers for the primary reason of making the Los Angeles Lakers a championship team. He wants to win. I think winning's important to him. But he's out there doing Space Jam 2, directing all these shows, He's and or directing these movies, producing these shows. The Lakers are secondary to him. Magic literally didn't have to do anything. He just had to make sure he didn't go to the Clippers. And LeBron James was never going to sign with the B team in town. So I'm not giving him nearly as much credit for LeBron as other people will. I'm saying you don't retain Julius Randle, who was another former lottery pick. You don't want to have any continuity with Palenka, who say what you want about him, but at least, you know, the, you guys are both doing this for the first time. And you allow a coach who's clearly a dead man walking to basically be the messenger that's getting shot all year long when you assembled this group of terrible players. I mean, those 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 Knicks teams were not, you could look, they were not good teams, but they never were thought of as a four seed or a three seed. I mean, the Lakers were thought of as a as a legitimate threat simply because of LeBron James, but I think people just didn't pay enough attention to that supporting cast. Also, how do you trade the number two pick? How do you let your former number three pick and Randall just leave? I mean, that's complete and utter ig- arrogance because you're saying I'm smarter than everybody else and I need toughness. No, you don't. You need talent. And to me, Magic completely ran this thing into the ground and... I think the Lakers are the worst are, are the worst situation. I think Magic ruined them far more than Phil ruined the Knicks because I think that was ownership intrusion. This was simply on Magic. You're, you're starting to convince me. Both were terrible. How about we agree on that? Oh, we can definitely agree on that. All right, so let's move on to the regular season. And first thing I want to say is congratulations. Your Brooklyn Nets have made the playoffs. And yes, I think yes, they, yes. I don't know if it's for sure, but I know they clinched it as a, what is it, a six seed for sure? They didn't clinch that yet because it's coming down to tonight to see if the Magic or the or the Nets get the six. And congratulations to me for picking the Magic <laughs> to make the playoffs. There you go. We both we were both were very happy on Sunday. I give the Nets so much credit, man, because they, when we last talked on the air, they were free-falling, and they were staring at having to win two games on the road back-to-back against playoff teams, one being the number one seed in the East in Milwaukee. They went on the road, beat Milwaukee, and then the next day go into Indiana and win. They had a con- they wanted to control their own destiny. They didn't want to wait on other teams and scoreboard watch, and they got the job done. And that, to me, is all on coaching, all on preparation, and all on a team that had a mission statement with some great veteran guys in there who have done it before, knowing what it took to win, and young guys that were hungry to win. So great job by the Nets. And obviously the Magic, that's great coaching too. Steve Clifford 
had that Hornets team in the playoffs a couple of times. Really good job out of him on a team that was expected to tank. Uh, made a couple trades in season. Got to give the Magic a lot of credit. And now the Detroit Pistons are in too. The Pistons are set into the eight. The Nets hold the tiebreaker over the Magic. So if they both win tonight or they both lose tonight, the Nets will get the sixth seed. Um, I think it re- would have to require the Nets losing and the and the Magic winning tonight. All right. Well, there you go. We'll have to figure out what uh, what ends up happening. We will be doing a full playoff preview later in the week when everything is set and good to go. Maybe we'll talk about some regular season awards as well. Because I think that'd be fun. I don't really want playoffs to affect us. Um, last thing we'll talk about before we move on to some MLB is Wade and Dirk. So, I mean, this was more of a celebration of their careers because this season and the past few have not been ones to talk about for either of the players, but I thought it was great. They both got 30 points in their final game, suspected final game. They both said that they were done. Um, Great careers for both of them. I think that they're both future first ballot Hall of Famers. Great players. Um, I know that they had a falling out because Wade was making fun of them back in 2011, but they seem to have made up, and and I'm happy about that. Think Dirk is done for real. The guy can barely move out there. I think he's done for real. Wade, on the other hand, I'm not so sure. Interesting. I think they both are. And, you know, first of all, for Dirk, I think his legacy is a little bit more than Wade, and that's not a knock on Wade. I think it's just what Dirk did for the European player. Well, not to mention the European player and to play 21 seasons in the same uniform and just have that kind of longevity. He also changed the power forward position completely. Um, all that combined, I think he's a better player. He's higher up in my pantheon of players and just a better career. I know Wade's got three titles to his one, but that also has a lot to do with circumstances. I think Dirk had a better career, but both great Hall of Fame careers. Yeah, and I give Wade, you know, not to diminish him, I give Wade more credit than a lot of players in the history of the league. And the reason being is he had won a title in 06 against Dirk, being the number one guy and looking like he was going to be the best player in the league for years. Then the heat have a couple down years after Shaq retires and Oh, Shaq did not retire after the heat. He went to like six other teams. Let's just say Shaq left the team. True, true, true. But what I'm saying though, is that Wade then was able to put his ego aside to bring LeBron and Bosch down to South beach and capture a couple titles. Now that 2011 team Wade was arguably the best player in the league that year, especially in the second half, because LeBron just never got comfortable. Bosh never got comfortable. And Wade said, you know what? I'm going to let you guys figure it out, but we need to win this game, and I'm going to do it. I mean, he was, a first, I believe, a first-team All-NBA-er that year. Mm-hmm. And even in the finals, you could see when LeBron was just wilting under pressure, Wade was the one just taking the ball and saying, I'm putting everybody on my back and we're winning this thing. They obviously didn't, but to be able to push his ego aside in the city that he grew up playing, or, you know, that he He's was drafted, Chicago, he, he was drafted into, had already won a title in Miami. He could have been the Kobe of Miami, you know? And he was able to say, you know what? It's more important that we win and we will do that a couple more times by bringing LeBron and Bosch in here. And I'm happy to take a step back for the betterment of the team. And we just don't see that these days in professional sports. It's all about my legacy and me carving out my legacy here. And yeah, you guys can come join, but it can't be somebody who's an alpha dog. I mean, I mean, I think the only other version of that is Curry wanting LeBron, or wanting Durant to come to Golden State. I think that's probably the only other parallel. But Wade doing that for the betterment of the team and then never really getting angry at LeBron for leaving, staying in Miami until he went to Chicago because of that little fallout with Riley. But I think it's very fitting that he came back to Miami, thanks to the Cavs for trading him right back there after a failed experiment early in the 2017-18 season. Still don't know what happened there. They have no idea what happened. But he gets to finish out in Miami. He's got his going away party, put up his 30, and... Both tremendous players, and I'm really happy that both of us were able to grow up watching these guys in the beginning of their career and in their primes. 
Because well, these are two old. of the Dirk best. Dirk got drafted in 98. I'm not that old. You're an old man. I'm not <laughs> Getting that old. to see these two guys play, though, and, and carve out these legacies and these oh. historic careers is was so much fun. Both probably, they're easily both top 50 players. I think Dirk's definitely submitted himself into the top 25 after winning that title. I think Wade, for a stretch there, would play like the best two guard of all time. I think he's a top five guard. Yeah. I, I, I mean, MJ, Kobe, Magic. He's definitely a top five. He had a stretch guard. there where Excuse he put me. up Jordan Kobe numbers. Yeah, no, he he's. I mean, Harden's put himself up there as well. Let's see how he does in the playoffs. But both great players. Bottom line is both champions, both first ballot Hall of Famers. Great careers. Um, and I'm gonna miss watching them play. That's for sure. I am too, but not at this stage in their careers. No, everybody, no, it was, it was especially time to like go. seeing Jeter leave too with baseball. We were like, okay, it's we're gonna miss seeing him suit up, but we're not gonna miss seeing him hit two thirty. And why don't we transition over to baseball? So, since we last talked, the Yankees have been down in Houston. Um, they did finish off a sweep of the Baltimore Orioles, so they got a little justification from that poor first series. Clint Frazier hitting like a man on fire. Clint Frazier is up, and he's playing great. Uh, it's really fun to see him playing the way he is. But we got to touch on some injury notes first. Luis Severino suffered a major setback, my man. Uh, during a rehab, he said his shoulder didn't feel quite right. Well, it turns out it's not. He went on the uh, he stayed on the IL, but he had a setback being diagnosed with a grade 2 lat strain, which is a different injury than was found on the original MRI which just showed inflammation. He's being shut down for 6 weeks, so you're really looking at by the time he's built up in the best case situation, you're looking around the All-Star break for him. We so, called that one. So my question for you is is this just a lost season, and do the Yankees should the Yankees pursue the best free agent and really only free agent on the market, and that's Dallas Keuchel? Yes. This team's built to win right now. I would absolutely say that. Throw him a boatload of money for two, three years. You're not going to kill yourself on a six-year deal. I just think that he should I, – I wouldn't go further than four. Definitely wouldn't go further than four, wow. but this team is built to win, period. And if you need that extra starter, it's a little lefty-heavy, but, I mean, whatever. I agree with you that they need to win now, but I am not agreeing on Keuchel. Reason being is they have not been linked to him all offseason. There's clearly something about him that is showing that he's trending down. Even if they sign him, he wouldn't be able to really probably start pitching till, you know, for another three or four weeks because he's got to go through some rehab starts, get himself worked up to that pitch count, and we all know how that how that goes. To me, what this says is CeCe's coming back. It was announced he's going to start Saturday. Herman has looked very good in his two starts. You've still got Paxton. You've still got Happ, and you've still got Tanaka. I think they're saving their chips to push to the front of the table come July 31st for the best starting pitcher on the market. Who and is that in your prediction? Early as on? of right now, it's probably Bumgarner. I still think that he's going to be – the Giants are going to have to come to the point where they trade him. Yeah, but I don't know how much I would give up for him. I would rather have Bumgarner at this point than Keuchel. I agree with you, but you're not giving up major prospects for Keuchel right now. That's no, but I don't want the lesser pitcher either. Just because he I just want somebody money. better if you're going to throw around top 50 prospects. Well, it depends. I mean, there's a lot that's going to go into it. Is, is Bumgarner pitching like the Bumgarner we know, or is he pitching like the 2017 version of Verlander who the Astros got from the Tigers when, the, when he was pitching to a near 5 ERA? So there's a lot that's going to go into it. Obviously, we're only a couple weeks into the season, but that's definitely tough. Uh, as I mentioned, CC set to return. He's going to start Saturday in the Bronx against the White Sox. And the bullpen's getting stronger. And Batances is right behind him. He's looking like probably mid-next week to come back. The bullpen's faltered the last two games in... Um, the last two games in Houston. I mean, a rough rough performance by Britain on Monday night in a game they had. Adovino gave up the winning run. And then we saw last night... Holder and Green not get the job done. Bumps and bruises, but I'll go with the talent. I will too. I'm not going to react too much to this. Um, if the Yankee bullpen is blowing games, then I feel much more confident in that than when they score one or two runs or the yeah. starting pitching. And you imploding. said that last year. You just have to live with it. These guys are too talented for this to keep up. Right. And this is not the trend. I mean, this is a tough series. The Yankees aren't at their healthiest, and the Astros at home are still a fantastic team. One team that's really bad. And this is surprising how bad they are. I'm loving every second of it. They can't lose enough for me, but that's the Boston Red Sox. They're 3-9. and nine. Yeah, and I think they're going to turn it around. They're still my wild card Chris Sale looks lost. 
oh, he looks – somebody stole home on him yesterday. He looks really bad. I just uh, – this team's got too much talent and too high of a payroll. I think they're going to turn it around. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think the Yankees are going to lock that one up, and I don't think it's going to take much for them to lock it up, but I just don't see them being a non-playoff team. Well, there's a team that we're not talking about that's playing out of their minds, and this team is actually talented, and that's Seattle? the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay doesn't lose. Their pitching is as good as any team in the league, and that's always been their calling card. And they're scoring plenty of runs. So I look at the Rays and I'm like, oh my God, this is not a this is not a Yankee Red Sox year. This is a Yankees Red Sox Rays year. And if the Red Sox don't start winning a couple games soon, they're staring at one of those early deficits that teams don't climb out of. Yep. All right. So let's talk about it a little bit more. Let's go over two of your most surprising teams, and then we'll go over two of the most disappointing. I think we already answered one disappointing for you. And one surprising. I'm going to go with two different teams for surprising for me, and then you can tell me your second. Seattle Mariners right now I think are 11-2. and two. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. They're hitting the ball out of the ballpark. They're playing really well. Their pitching is great. And aside from a shaky, especially for his own right, start yesterday where he gave up more than three runs for the first time in 26 starts, I'm saying the Mets are looking pretty good. Yeah, the Mets are looking Those really good. Those are my good. two most surprising. I'm definitely going with you on Seattle. I'm going to tell you, it's not because I didn't think they'd be good, but I didn't think they'd be this good. And quite honestly to me, it's the New York Mets. I, I totally hey, I agree. Making the playoffs I, I, and it's I, early, I didn't but. think they'd look this good right now. And, and, and just watching them play in a division that has a lot of talent, the Mets to me, they have – I mean, I – I think they have what it takes. I think they have what it takes Period. as long as they stay healthy. The Mariners, though, are more surprising because, let's be honest, this is a team that was picked to be one of the worst teams in baseball, and yep. they're not going they're to They're mashing be. well. They're they're mashing the ball out there right now. They're hitting – I think they've hit more home runs than some anybody since, like, the 1941 Yankees or something yeah, like it, that. It, I heard a stat like that um, to start the season. And then why don't you give me another disappointing team? Well, I'm um, actually not going with Boston as one of my most disappointing because we just talked about them, and I think it's easy. I'm, I'm, I'm going right off the bat. I'm going with the Chicago Cubs – because that's the worst bullpen I've ever seen. Oh, God. And they can't score. And I'm, then I'm going with the Nationals. Because okay. their bullpen is also absolutely atrocious. I'm going Red Sox and I'm going Cubs. Um, I just think that the Cubs should be better, even with their bullpen struggles. And I just think the Red Sox have too high of a payroll to suck this bad. And they did a bad job by the front office this year, not getting Kimbrell back. I don't know what you're fighting. Your payroll's already through the roof. You're a win-now team. Don't you want to repeat? Well, now in the extension of of sale looks really bad. I mean, we're not sure. I mean, maybe he gets himself right, but I think I'm early feeling, on he looks. I'm feeling awful. one of those uh, Fugazi ten day IL injuries, and he gets his shit together. I, I I'm usually pretty good at well, calling con- those kind of things. The concern is there, though. I think That's he stubs sure. his toe in these next couple days, and he finds his way to the DL, and maybe a couple his simulated games. Way down, he's throwing know, like 91. It, you're right, and, and that's scary for a guy like him that heavily relies on the velo. It's early in the year, you know. Some of these guys don't heat up till their fourth, fifth start, where they start topping off at 95 to 98, like Sale does. But it is scary because he relies on a lot of velocity and. He's not really a deceptive pitcher. It's more velocity and, and and his stuff. But, I mean, come on. I think the Red Sox are the most disappointing team in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're by far, they're easy. But I, I just think that the expectation for the Cubs and the Nationals were to be at least playoff fringe playoff teams and fighting for the division. I know we both picked the Cubs to finish third in the National League Central. They look like they're going to finish last. And then... For me, the Nationals, I thought they were going to be right there in the thick of things. And their bullpen, they can't get they literally can't get anybody out. Yeah, we knew that was coming though. We did, but not to this not to this extent. They've the amount of games that they've coughed up from the eighth inning on is truly astounding, and there's no signs that that's going to get any better. I mean, they have no problem getting the lead, and they have no problem scoring runs. They just can't preserve any of those. Well, they're in trouble because Lester's headed to the IL as well. Yeah, um, no, the Cubs are... string or something. Yeah, the Cubs are the walking wounded of the Bef- National League. Before we move on to the NFL, because we're going to talk a little pre-draft kind of thing going on, 
I just want to say this, and I said it last year about Drury, and I hope it doesn't end up the same way with Drury being on the IL for the entire year and then getting traded. Clint Frazier's my favorite Yankee this year. <laughs> I love Clint Frazier. I'm just hoping it works out better for the guy. Me than too. And it did for Drury. Me too. Because hope... Drury started off hot. Oh, and no. the only reason why Anhar even played was because he got hurt. We wouldn't be talking about Anhar. Not that I'm upset about it. Because you got a couple pieces from Toronto for Drury. but And you got Hap. But, I mean, Frazier's my guy this year. Well, Frazier's been somebody that the Yankee fans... We've seen bits and pieces of him, and we've seen him have success. I mean, dude, when he, that bat speed is insane. Oh, it's ridiculous! But that was, you know, that's what Cashman said when they when they got him the quote unquote legendary bat speed. I mean, we saw in seventeen when he came up way earlier than people thought. Had that walk off against Milwaukee, played well, showed signs, got hurt, lost the job. Hicks came back. Even Ellsbury, remember that year, came back and was playing. And then last year was just a lost year for him with the concussions, and he was in and out. None of it's due to lack of talent. No. Or or just sucking. It's all in Last year, they just didn't have any room for him, and he was in and out of concussion protocol and on and off the Scranton shuttle. Stay healthy, Clint. Love you, buddy. I just, when he plays and you get to see him play every day, he's getting every day at bats, and he's healthy and he's confident. This guy does everything on a baseball field that you'd like to see. Last year, he was even when he was healthy, he was lunging at the baseball. He's using that bat speed this year, letting the ball travel. Love you, bud. Yeah, love you. Love him, too. Fellow right. Ginger, you know I'm standing with him. <laughs> Let's move on to some NFL. We, Yeah, I think we should. Now, I just want to tease this. Uh, my buddy Mike, who knows more about draft prospects than honestly anybody I've ever seen, he's going to come on this podcast. Better than Kuiper? Well, I've never seen Kuiper. <laughs> Guys that I've met. See him on TV. Yeah, okay. Well, I've never shook hands with the guy. I don't know him. Oh, but you haven't? No, I no, have not. That's because you're not CEO of Sorry Sports. Have you? Yeah. No, you haven't. Yeah, I have. No, you have not. I met him last week at a conference. You'll get invited someday you're if such I a name clown. you president. You're a clown. Anyway, so my buddy Mike's going to come on this pod, but leading up to that, he's going to do a couple cool things for the website, um, and he's going to produce- SorrySports.com. That's right. He's going to produce- um, a, a mock draft of the first round. He's going to do all seven rounds for the Jets and Giants. And then he's there also going to do something called the French Five. Last name is French. He's going to pick the la- the best five players at each position um, from the offensive line, the defensive line, um, secondary skills positions on the offensive side of the ball. So that's going to be a lot of fun. He's going to be mentioning a lot of names. So we'll have him on the pod prior to the draft and then after the draft to get his analysis. That I think sounds somebody- like an in-studio type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be cool to just have somebody or who knows. I don't yeah, know. either way. I mean, he'll he'll be on the pod. It'll be cool to yes. have uh, to have him discuss that and uh, give his insight. So, we'll start with the draft, which is two weeks from tomorrow. Amazingly enough, all the speculation, all the talks, we're getting to that point. And the whispers are, as we are now, fifteen days away. Are the Arizona Cardinals keeping Josh Rosen? And right now, it seems that. They are at least till draft night. Well, you've got three written down for me here, and that is Cardinals keeping Rosen, Giants not going QB first round, and the Jets trading the first uh, their top pick at three. Calling bullshit on the first two. The Giants are definitely going to take a quarterback. I'm 100% sure on that. I just have a feeling. Oh, I'm not. They have to. They it's fucking not, have not to. Not a point. Not the point. I saw a mock that was produced by uh, CBS Sports just yesterday. Was it Mel Kuyper? No, he's Don't on care. ESPN. Don't care. All right, you're being a you're being a clown. <laughs> um, that the Giants will go defensive end at six, offensive line at seventeen, and Will Greer at thirty-seven. That's what I'm seeing from that. How do you feel about it? Changes every day. Well, first I want to talk about Rosen. I don't think that the Giants are going to look to get him, and I don't think the Redskins are looking to get him. And I think the worst thing that the Cardinals can possibly do is hold him on draft day because now they're stuck because you can't go into a season, no matter what they say with a quarterback in his second year and the number one overall this pick. Is, this is a matter of being stubborn because you spent that GM sucks too. So he doesn't necessarily have a very good track record, which is of what why he's he should doing. have been fired because then another GM wouldn't be tied to him, which you say is all the time is a big deal in football. It is. Not it's tied huge. To, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. You trade him for a second-round pick to the New England Patriots. That's the move to do. The Patriots have two or three second-round picks, and they're looking, obviously, at some point. I don't know when. I, I, I You couldn't tell me. I don't know when Tom Brady's going to retire. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 60. Maybe it's 90. Maybe he dies on the field. I don't know. 
But at some point, they're going to have to move on from Tom Brady. This is such a Patriots move, and I'm sure they'd be willing to give up a second-round pick. This is him being stubborn, not looking. He's trying to get equal value for what Josh Rosen is. Too bad he's not that. And you made a mistake. Live with it. Move on. Get another second-round pick and get Kyler Murray in the in the Cliff Kingsbury system. Period. Yeah, and and the let's thing be is, smart here. Right. Exactly. And why don't you just do it now and take the best offer? Because if you go on to into draft night holding his rights and knowing full well you're taking Kyler Murray. Teams are now not going to offer you any better than a third, maybe, maybe a fourth, because they're, they're going to say, yeah, we'll call your bluff. Okay, you want to go into training camp with both of these guys? Be my guest. They shouldn't have shopped him in the first place if they wanted to hold him till draft night, because they know that you want Kyler Murray. Now they know you're stuck with the guy, and it's not a real QB competition, because you know your guy is Kyler if you're going with him first overall. Exactly. I completely agree with you. Trade him before draft night. Put the, figure out what you're going to do with that second or whatever round pick you get for him and make a good plan. Just be smart. Yeah. I'm not even a fan of the Cardinals. I don't care, but I just I, I don't understand the stupidity. Like the NBA thing with Magic and, and Phil Jackson. Like if me and you sitting here can do a better job than these guys, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's ridiculous. It, it's completely it's it's complete ineptitude is what it is. Now we're going to talk about the Giants for a quick second here, okay? And I don't actually Sean know Sean actually it's just be. wrote an article on sorrysports.com that the Giants do have a plan. I think they do. And, and honestly, if you don't see the plan, then you just want to shit on the Giants. Now, I said after the Odell trade came on this podcast and said and and just went off and said I didn't like I didn't it was a great pod. They all are. Come on. I I didn't I didn't like the nature in which they did it and I didn't really like how it seemed like they didn't really take the best offer. They just took the first one. But the plan is simple. Dave Gettleman, who has always built inside out from the lines, has done nothing but address the offensive and defensive or the offensive line in the last two years. He took Will Hernandez in the second round last year. He signed Nate Solder to the big time deal. He trades for uh, Zietler this year with the Browns. And he wants to get a top right right tackle in there as well. So it's no surprise that he's looking there. He also wants to build up the defensive line. Snacks didn't fit that fit that mold anymore. Apparently there were locker room issues too. He wants to have a stout defensive line. At number six, you're going to have a pick of one of the top in a rich defensive line draft. Your pick at one of the best defensive ends in the country. Okay, so we know that. The other thing, he doesn't believe in skill position guys being the having to pay him that much money. Again, why did you trade? O, why did you sign Odell last year? I do believe him that the plan was not to sign him and trade him. But now we see the plan materializing. Okay, he's not going to be the reason we win. We got to ship him out. Who are we going to get? We're going to get an athletic top tier safety who we really like and fit our defensive scheme. We're going to get another first round pick that we can use on an offensive lineman, on defensive lineman, or use that to mortgage movement for a quarterback. They also see that Saquon Barkley is going to be the focal point of this team and that they're building a team with enough patchwork. They signed Sterling Shepard today for a four-year extension. They signed Golden Tate to a four-year deal, more like a two-year deal. And they're going to showcase an offense around Eli that is good enough to win games and maybe sneak into the playoffs while they rebuild the defense. They've also addressed the defensive line with Marcus Golson. They've added a, a good safety in Antoine Bethay, and they don't believe in paying top money to a safety in Landon Collins who doesn't like to tackle. So... I can clearly see the plan. Now the plan is centered around the most posi- most important position on the field, and that's the quarterback. What in God's name are you doing, and do you really believe Eli has more years after this? I don't care if they think he has three or four. You take his successor now. Now, I've been screaming loud and clear that I like Dwayne Haskins. Kyler Murray, in my opinion, will not be available, so I'm not even going to put him in this discussion. I'm going to mold Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Will Greer and Daniel Jones all in the same mold. Those are four quarterbacks coming out this draft, the four supposed best, and that are going to go in either all in the first round or early into the second. Which one of those do you see in 2020 starting and winning games and taking a team to the playoffs after a year of sitting behind a future Hall of Famer? Because the best case scenario, that guy doesn't see the NFL field this year in a game unless it's meaningless. 
even if it's week 17 and the Giants are 4 and 11, they're going to freaking run Eli out there so he can have his farewell tour. So who has the most talent that you believe is going to fit with an offense that includes Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, and a stout, much improved offensive line? Is it Haskins? Is it Greer? Is it Locke? Is it Jones? I don't know. All I know is that I want to hear them say on draft day, I want them to take a quarterback of six. I don't really necessarily know. Gettleman has always said, we're going to take the best player available. Do they think Eli has more time after this year? Do they really believe that with a much better offensive line and the skilled position players around him, that he can play for two or three more years? God, I hope not. But again, we're going to find out on draft day. All I ask for the Giants brass, please do not spend another third or fourth round draft pick, which are valuable picks on a quarterback that you don't believe has any chance to succeed in the NFL and is nothing more of a project, a la Davis Webb in the third, a la Kyle Lalletta in the fourth. If they believe that they need two top-tier players in the first round, which is why they got that second first-round pick, and you need to address the offensive line and the defensive line with the best players available, and they think Will Greer at pick number 37, which is really an extension of the first round at that point, is the quarterback that in 2020 can step in and be a a really solid quarterback and, and win and be your future building block, I'm actually okay with that. I really and truly am. I just want to make sure that they have a plan. It seems like their plan is coming to fruition. It definitely exists. Now it's just whether they can execute it. But I definitely think they have a plan. All right. Well, I guess uh, we're going to have to find out. So we will be back on Saturday. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Don't jump the gun here. Jets have the third pick. What are the Jets doing with this pick? Trade it. Trade it. Trade back to six if the Giants want it. Trade back to, what is the Jaguars have seven? Yep. Trade it. Go out and get a uh, premier. Denver at 10. Go out and get a premier rusher because we're really deep in defensive linemen right now. But what if you have, what if Quentin Williams is available at three? What if Josh Allen is available at three? That's a difference maker on the defensive end. Uh, Or do you just trade back and say in a a draft that's so rich in defensive end talent and so much offensive line talent, we need to fill both those holes much like the Giants. We need to get as many picks as possible. You don't have a second-round pick. Make sure you get one of those. Absolutely. There's some top-tier wide receivers that you're going to be able to get in the late first, second, even the third round. The Iowa State guy is really good getting compared to Calvin Johnson. Obviously, you know how I feel about DJ Metcalf. Go out and get a really talented guy in this deep draft at the 7th, 10th pick. Get another first-round pick, whether it be this year or next year, and just build your team. Got to get a second-rounder, too. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you have, what, the third pick? Right. So, you know, you're going to get a lot for that. Well, one of the worst kept secrets from the combine, two of them, were John Elway and the Broncos have a love affair with Drew Locke, and Mike McCagnon really wants to trade that third pick. Perfect marriage for me. All right. So... That'll put a cap on this Monday rundown on a Wednesday. So the NBA playoffs will start Saturday. So we will be doing a pod Saturday morning, doing a little playoff preview. I will also be going on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Mike Phillips, we were on there earlier in the 2019 year uh, just to give them a little bit of a playoff preview so give make sure you give that one a listen CEO as well. CEO doing a little extra work? Yeah, you know. You know the CEO has been writing all the articles, so. That's what you're good for. Uh, and I'm quite good at it. Great writer. Maybe I'll dust off my fingers when something comes to me. But listen, who's the one who edits them, puts them up on the website, all that good stuff? It's me. I'm the CEO. I'm running all the social media. I'm doing everything, all right? Know your place and sit down, Sean. You're a clown. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest Just of the night. Just keep doing your job. Yep.